sink, sink, sink. Hello, and welcome back to Comics Over Time, where we shine a spotlight on classic comic stories and the TV shows or big screen blockbusters they inspired. We'll look to connect the dots from the comic book panels to the moving pictures, examining where the adaptation followed the comics closely and where they decided to go their own way. And when we're done, we'll try and answer that most important of questions, who told the tale best? My name is Dwayne, and with me, as always, my good buddy Dan. Dan, how's it going? It's going really, really well. Had a bunch of stuff that I've been working on, and uh, got a chance to take a break and read some comics, including some comics I've never read before. So this week, we're preparing for Marvel's massive crossover, right? We're getting ready for the Infinity War event, Endgame, all of that. By taking a look at one story that provided inspiration for the movie's plot, and then another one that actually gives us a better understanding of its terrifying antagonist, Thanos. Yes, both very, very interesting stories, very good stories. We've got a lot to talk about. Let's jump in and let's talk about some comic book news. And Dan, I feel like I've kind of out of left field. I was reading our local newspaper And I came across a story talking about Batman Day coming this Saturday, September 16th, and how this is apparently a thing. I didn't realize I didn't realize there was a Batman Day. Did you know there's a Batman Day? I may be a bad comic fan, but I did not know there's a Batman Day or at least one that would be celebrated. Like, you know, there's a there's probably like a, you know coffee thermos day or something when you get one of those things but that no i did not so apparently it's moved around a bunch uh over the years but it is a thing and it is on september 16th fans around the world will gather for batman day celebrating their love of dc's hallmark superhero one of the most enduring characters in popular culture to commemorate this annual tradition dc and warner brothers discovery are preparing for an incredible selection of content and activities to make Batman Day 2023 an incredible experience worldwide. So there are some special special edition comic books that are going to be available at your comic book store, and they should be, it sounds like they're free too. So Batman Catwoman, The Gotham War Prelude, number one, and Batman and the Joker, the Deadly Duo, number one, are both going to be available, special editions, at your comic book store. There's a new hardcover uh, collected work that's that, that's being kind of promoted as part of this. In addition to this, there's select theaters that are showing the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy, Uh in theaters across the United States. So you'd have to check locally to see if that's happening. Uh, They're making a big deal on uh, HBO max or max. I guess it's now where you, where all the kind of DC stuff normally is on a streaming service. That's there. TNT's running a Batman day movie marathon. TBS is showing Batman themed episodes of the big bang theory. Food Network is even doing something. It is absolutely crazy. And I didn't even know this holiday existed before this week. That is interesting. I mean, I suppose they're trying to, you know, like May the 4th has obviously become the big one with Star Wars kind of doing its thing. 
Uh, interestingly, Star Trek Day was two days ago as we're recording this, September Yes. 8th. So that is that is one also. So everybody's going to get a day. When when are we going to declare Comics Over Time Day, Dwayne? What uh, I what I don't know. Well, we'll January fifth is that the uh, the first the first I, phases podcast? Yeah. I think was January fifth. Maybe that'll have to be. It, we'll, it we'll might start it, celebrating. It might have to be just that. So so yeah. So if you're a big fan of Batman, or even if you're not, it might be an interesting, fun day to head down to the comic book store on Saturday. I think I'm going to try and get down there. I've got a Moon Knight book to pick up and uh, see if I can get a couple copies of these of these special edition comics as well. That is cool. And any chance to be able to see some of those movies you love back on the screen, if they happen to be showing them in your town, is is always welcome. So, awesome. Yes. Jumping over to Marvel Unlimited in their new release. There's one number one that's being released this week that's going to be available. It's Deadpool, Batter Blood number one is going to be released this week. And other characters with new books coming out include Groot, Bishop, Red Goblin, Iron Man, Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, the X-Men, and the Immortal X-Men, Daredevil, and Venom. So there are a lot of options to choose from seems like a pretty big week uh hopefully you've been reading some of those uh some of those titles so that you can just pick right up with uh with the new issue that's coming in as opposed to maybe having to backtrack to the beginning of the run and and then catch up Dan, you know what's nice have... about having to catch up when they're digital though you don't have to track them all down and buy them you can just like go to the start of the series so yes Much that easier. is that is that is very very true. Dan, do you have a recommendation for us this week? Yeah, actually, I've been catching up on some stuff, and I'm a huge fan of Blade Runner. Blade Runner is one of my favorite movies of all time, and for the last few years, there's been a comic company, Titan Comics, that has been putting out Blade Runner comic books, and they are set essentially they're they're normally they're ten issue runs. And they focus on a particular time in Blade Runner universe's history from like some phase of when the replicants were either brought in or banned or brought back, etc. So the first stories, uh, Origins was set in 2009, and there's been a 2019 and a 2029 series. And now we're in the middle of the 2039 series, which is currently in stores. So if you happen to like that know the Blade Runner sort of of universe and that kind of storytelling pretty entertaining comic books they're well done I would uh, I would definitely say give them a look all right thank you for that recommendation we'll have a link uh for some of that in the show notes Dan let's dive in and let's talk about the stack for this week what did we read we read two different sets of books and they are very different sets of books. Like, yes. I would say that Infinity Gauntlet number one through six is sort of classic 1990s Marvel. It is big. It is bombastic. There are guest stars everywhere. It's drawn by George Perez, or at least a number of them are. Uh, this is Marvel at sort of the height of the crazy collector phase power. And then we read Thanos Rising from 2013, which is... A far different, far more intimate, far more disturbing portrait of Thanos 
uh, kind of who he was, how he came to be who he is, that sort of thing. And so, really interesting stuff. And the, the reason I wanted to read Infinity Gauntlet is because a good part of the plot of Infinity War and some of Endgame, and even a few of the scenes, as you probably noticed, come yes. directly out of these comic books. Uh, there is also a lot of stuff that's changed, obviously. It is not a one-to-one translation by any, any means. And then, th- I'm going to turn this around a little. Why these books for Thanos Rising? What what was it, Dwayne, that, that caused you to say, hey, let's let's go for these? So it was the power of a Google search. I was actually, I wanted to uh, try and help come up with some books for this week because um, I I really, this Infinity War really is quite a movie and Endgame, obviously the second part of it to follow was, was amazing as well. And I would tell you, I don't know much about Thanos as a character other than what we had seen up until that point, which was just brief glimpses. And I was looking, I I wanted to see if there was a set of books that might help us to understand the character a little bit better. And so this was on a recommended list that I had found on a website. Jason Aaron is, is the, uh, is the writer on it. Simone Bianchi, Bianchi is the artist on it, and it was it was it was said to be a very in depth look of at the Thanos character, and I thought, what better way to try and understand this big bad antagonist that we have in this movie, and that has been kind of looming over all of Phase Three, but to kind of get get an idea of get some backstory, maybe get some more understanding of where the characters come from, his motivations. And oh boy, did we get that in spades in that set of books. Yep, absolutely. So, and a lot of times we actually right around this point do a profile of a particular creator. Today, just real quick, I actually want to do a quick profile of a character instead. So even before we get to talking about Thanos and sort of his incontinuity history, a lot of which is going to be covered through these two groups of stories we'll be reading. I actually want to talk a little bit about the creation and publication history of the character itself, which I think is also really fascinating. Thanos was actually created in 1973 by Jim Starlin. Starlin, of course, done all sorts of Marvel cosmic stuff, but he first created the character and Thanos first appeared in an Iron Man story that Starlin did back in 73, Iron Man number 55. In that one, he's fighting against Drax. So it's essentially Iron Man teaming up with Drax against Thanos. And from the beginning, much of Thanos' origin was actually in place. You had his origin on Titan. You had his, you know, his father, Mentor, his brother, Eros. Also the fact that evidently Starlin was kind of looking into psychology and stuff at the time. And the name Thanos itself is derived from a Freudian term called Thanatos, which is Sigmund Freud's sort of idea of the death impulse in human beings. Like this death wish, essentially. Wow. Which, I mean, you know, may have set him on a path in some (laughs) way, right? Yeah. But in any case, uh, initially he was actually just kind of this 
the space warlord who showed up every once in a while in Marvel and fought some of the regular Earth characters and the like. But Starlin had created him. He kind of always had him in his back pocket. He had admitted that he was influenced, and I would say influenced is a generous term. He basically stole the character directly from Jack Kirby's New Gods because really Thanos is just Darkseid brought back into the Marvel Universe, right? He's a big, crazy purple guy with, you know, ridiculous power who goes around trying to destroy everything. And in fact, over the years, the two characters have become more and more similar because they are almost the big bads of the Marvel and DC Universe, and they're almost indistinguishable. But Darkseid was created in 1970 in The New Gods by Jack Kirby after he moved over to DC. Once he had him, Starlin then, you know, originally... Thanos was kind of weird. There were stories where he had, like, the famous Thanos copter, where he makes his getaway in a, in a helicopter after a, a after some sort of plot gone bad. And it says Thanos uh-huh. on the side of the helicopter. Um, <laughs> but in any case, once he actually got, once Starlin got his own span, like, star-spanning book, uh, using Warlock and some of those Captain Marvel characters and the like, he actually brought Thanos back in and turned him into the myth- or folded him into that mythology of the Marvel Cosmic Universe, uh, and made him a key foe of Warlock. So through much of the 80s, that's kind of where things ended for him, though, because Warlock and Thanos and a lot of those um, Marvel Cosmic characters were underused, uh, or really almost completely unused through the 80s, when you had the big X-Men sort of... Um, explosion and everything things focused a lot more on that and the marvel cosmic universe really got sort of shrunk but in 1990 uh they relaunched a silver surfer comic thanos was actually brought back in that as one of the antagonists for the surfer and then in 1991 he got sort of this career defining role in infinity gauntlet right and this is where he goes from being the guy with the Thanos copter to being the big bad of the Marvel universe in a lot of ways. Right. So Mm -hmm. since then, Thanos has actually been a pretty regular sight in Marvel comics. He did not go away for another decade like he did in the eighties. He's come back in all sorts of different books and different series. A lot of times in the larger, um, sort of like multi-book events and the like, and usually it signals that there's either a world or maybe a universe shattering event that's at hand. When he, when Thanos is involved, rarely is there a cat caught in a tree or something like this. It's something big that's going on, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and as we've seen, recent writers have started to give this character some additional backstory. But in the end, he just remains sort of one of the Marvel Universe's most dangerous beings. He is totally insane. And this leads to his nickname, the Mad Titan. And I think that... As we go through these and talk about them, you'll start to see a little bit of exactly where he's been and and where he's going. But it's a fascinating character because it is a character that was almost a complete direct swipe of a Jack Kirby character. But that then was kind of given a very different spin. Um, It's interesting because Thanos has mostly just been about death. Whereas Darkseid is about anti-life. Which would seem like they'd be the same thing, but in actual fact, anti-life and death are different things. 
So it's not, he didn't copy at all. It's a completely different plan. Anyway, we might, ha we might have to have a discussion at some point and you can explain to me what the difference is there because yeah, what now is not the time though. Let's jump in and let's talk about infinity gauntlet one through six from 1991. Right. It is always the time to talk about dark side and the anti-life equation though, just as a note, but sure. I'll let it go okay. for now. Um, infinity gauntlet number one through six. Started coming out in 1991, written by Jim Starlin. First four issues were drawn by George Perez and inked by Ron Lim. Last issue, because these are very big issues, it appears even George Perez ran behind, which did not happen very often because that guy drew like a maniac. And Lim took over and was the penciler on the final issue. Um, Rubenstein, Christopher, and Solotov were inkers on the project. It was inked by Max Scheel and Ian Laughlin and lettered by Jack Morelli. So, really a solid team. 1991 George Perez is just beautiful. I will note, I prefer like a Romeo Tangle or somebody like that who knows Perez inking him. I don't actually like the inks on this. George Perez does not look all that much like George Perez in these books. Ron Lim kind of just paves over him. So I'm a little angry at Lim on the inks for this. I'm just going to come right out and say that right now. Okay. But it's still beautiful, as always. I mean, it doesn't look not like George Perez. But I think that if you look at Ron Lim's finished art and a lot of the other books he does, he did a lot of Warlock books and the like after, there's a lot of times where he changes faces and, and things to look a little bit more like him than like Perez, which is a absolute crime because George Perez should be respected at all times. Anyway, that's that. So... Ready to hear a little bit about this? Yeah, let's let's talk about what happens across these six books. Sure. What happens is that we take a look at what may occur when a crazy person with a death wish becomes the most powerful person in the universe. Right? Infinity Gauntlet sets out to answer that question. And it starts with the personification of death expressing her anger that over half of all living beings are currently alive. Thanos is a big fan of death, and so in order to impress the woman that he loves, which is death personified as a woman, he acquires the six infinity gems, time, space, mind, soul, reality, and power, and then he, and he does all of this off screen, by the way. When we start yes. Infinity Gauntlet, he's already got the, the gauntlet, it's made, he's got all the gems put in it, we are just yep. dropped right in, and... There are other stories that show how we got some of these and the like. But as far as this series itself, it just sort of assumes he has them. And he has ripped them out of all sorts of different places and stolen them from the people who were entrusted with them and whatever. They didn't want to bother figuring all that out. They just, yeah, he got them, right? Once he has them, within a few pages, he then snaps his fingers and half of all sentient beings are essentially extinguished just gone uh, much like the snap that we all remember from uh from infinity war once he's done this he also then ends up fighting with some folks including the silver surfer who he banishes and when he banishes him he banishes him into the soul gem which interestingly is exactly where his arch enemy adam warlock is retired and hanging out with his friends 
At that point, the unexpected arrival of the surfer leads to Adam Warlock finding out what Thanos has done. And at that point, he says, well, it's time to stop relaxing here. I should probably get back into the world, go out and take care of things. Sets out to stop the Mad Titan and to correct this wrong. So to do so, he and his friends Pip and Gamora are returned to the physical world out of the stone. Warlock then begins formulating a plan and accumulating allies. He finds just about everyone, from the Avengers all the way up to the primal gods of the universe, and he convinces most of them to help him defeat Thanos. Um, there's a few like Doctor Doom and Eternity, who Doctor Doom and is, is not the prime being in the universe, but he thinks he is. And Eternity actually yes. sort of is the biggest guy in the universe. And he's like, I'm not going to be on somebody else's team. I literally am the personification of the universe, right? But he probably should have because he got his butt kicked later on. But anyways, so once they've done this, um, Adam sets up these various attacks. And interestingly, he knows they're all going to fail. But for some reason, he just thinks they all have to happen to sort of soften up Thanos and make him think that he's powerful or whatever. So the Avengers go first. They're soundly defeated because he can control time. He can control everything. Just completely beats them down. Then there's a wave led by Galactus and many of the other timeless entities. Things like chaos and order, the personifications of those things. Um, the personification of time itself, which you'd think would give you an upper hand. But when the other guy also has a ring that allows him to control time, it kind of is a, is a moot point. But some pretty big guns they bring in. Thanos defeats them and actually locks them sort of into this stasis. Eventually, though, he is actually betrayed by Mephisto and Death herself, both of whom had been his allies up to this point. And while they're distracting him and Silver Surfer's doing stuff and whatever, Gamora's actually able, and she was been there in this, or not Gamora. Um, Nebula. Uh, while they're distracting yeah. So then while they're distracting him, Nebula has also been there in this weird zombified form because it made Thanos happy because he's a terrible grandfather or something like this. And she's able to grab the gauntlet, which then immediately heals her. She resets the universe to how it was 24 hours period. But after doing so, she kind of takes a liking to the godlike power of the gems as well and doesn't want to give up the gauntlet. So Warlock then has to go in, because she's new with it, he's like, ah, I can get in now. He causes the gems themselves to have some sort of discord, and they basically just refuse to work for her, and the gauntlet blows up off her hand. He then picks up the gauntlet for himself. Everyone returns home. Warlock resigns himself to godhood, which as he's wandering off, he tells us, that he's had to do before, and he's used to all this, and he foresaw all of this, because time is just a big loop to him. So, and then Thanos, we go and visit a few days later, and he's actually retired, and living quietly on a farm, in this little shack up on a hill. In a scene that should be very, very easy to visualize yes. for almost anybody who's yes. an MCU fan, I would suspect. It was it was quite a finish. I was like so surprised that that actually was in the comic book run here. I I, I was fully expecting that that sort of thing happened in the movie and only in the movie, and that wasn't wasn't one of the ideas that kind of was more directly pulled from from the comics. But nope, nope. It, it sure wasn't. 
Yeah, it's it's an entertaining story. It moves really fast. It's a little bit ridiculous because the power level of the characters is so is so diverse. Like the idea that Spider-Man and She-Hulk would be fighting the same guy that Galactus and the gods of order, order and chaos are fighting is is ridiculous. You know, what is Spider-Man going to do that, you know, yes. these guys can't do. But right. anyway. So so this was a, a an actually a great series. I was I was I've been hit or miss sometimes on on some of the early 90s, late 80s sort of books that we've read, but but this was actually a really just a really good series. I was I came away from it actually rather impressed and and I'm like wow, there is a lot of this that feels very familiar to me too. This is this feels like Infinity War and, and the the yep. the movie and and so that was it it had this comfort level that I I don't feel like I have very often. It, it feels like there's enough kind of separation between the 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 comic and the the film adaptation that that it's you re- I really feel as comfortable I guess with it as as I did here. You know, and it's weird because when I when I think about it in some ways it's hard to separate Infinity War and Endgame here because in many ways this one is Endgame more than it is Infinity War because right. a lot of it happens after the after the snap just like Endgame yes. happens after the snap. But there's also yeah. a lot of it that is more the the lead up and the fight and the like that that are more like what we did see in Infinity War 2. So they really did blend those movies together and take elements from sort of both of these. So in any case, yeah, I, I enjoyed this at the time and I liked it a lot now. I'm always fascinated by Warlock and kind of the way that he moves in and out of stories. You know, that he really is this unreasonable power within the Marvel Universe. I think that there's, you know, when when we read the stuff with him previously, he almost seems like he's a, a Christ figure. And then he does things like this and just sort of ends up, you know, yes. he's dying and, and then he comes back from the dead and turns into God. So uh-huh. Starlin very much is, that is his, that is his Christ figure. And he's been using them that way from the 70s up to whenever. That's just kind of what he thinks of Warlock as. But it is also interesting that the bad guy really is, in many ways, the main character of this. Thanos gets a lot of time in Infinity War. You know? It's a lot of him talking with his sort of co-conspirators. He's got Mephisto there. Um... Note to anyone out there who wants to conquer the universe, never trust Mephisto as your, like, your uh, Robespierre or whatever your your guy who in the, in the chair is going to be. You're, Find somebody yeah, else. He's he's going to betray you. Yeah, he's... Yeah. Yeah. He does not have your best interests in mind. Let's just put it that way. So, first of all, like, these books are big. I, I yes. that was that was the first thing that that 
kind of surprised me about this. We I loaded up the first book in Marvel Unlimited. And I'm like, oh, it's 40 pages. That makes sense. Usually number ones are a little bit bigger. And and so there was a lot of story in that first issue. I mean, Thanos, like that entire first issue is just trying to get this, trying to get in good graces with, uh, you know, what he refers to as Mistress Death, the 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 female personification of death. And what's weird is they're out in space and he like creates this like giant sort of uh, monument to her, I guess it, it's, yeah. it was really as, as, as a way to try and get on her good side. He's like talking about all these different things he could do. And, and finally, you know, she, basically lets it know that she's not happy about the number of people or the number of creatures alive. And so that he's just like, Oh, I could, I could fix that. No problem. And then snaps. And what's interesting is that then they start showing all these different spots and all these things that are happening as a result of it. You know, it, the Avengers are having to catch planes before they crash to crash yeah. into earth. And, and then you like, you see panels of the Cree talking about how their arch rival is the one that obviously must be doing this. And so they must go and attack. And, and so you're seeing just all over the Marvel yep. universe, all these people realize you know, finding out that this has happened immediately accusing somebody else of doing the thing that caused this to happen and start tensions towards conflict with these other beings and then it was like it has to be warlock and all these people like trying to he he's like contacting them to like be like no 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 it's not who you think it is it's actually mm -hmm. thanos out in space he's doing this we need to stop him because it's it's just going to keep getting worse from here yep and i i also think it's interesting just how hopeless most of their efforts were they showed like black widow yes. trying to save a baby and then the mom dies and she's unable and you know nimarita or whatever saves two people walking along the boardwalk but then the rest of of new jersey or something like that is destroyed with probably millions of people dead and so the fact that there was really no there was no way that a street level hero or someone just doing normal heroic stuff could in any way combat what's going on. That we had to have something crazy and cosmic or it was going to be bad. And so, you know, the that sort of that sort of set the the stakes as we don't really have to worry about anybody punching someone. This is not going to you're not going to get rid of this by defusing the bomb or punching the bad guy. We need something crazy, right? Yet we got punching. We had, you know, Drax and, Drax and the Hulk punch Thanos at the same time. And he's just like laughing it off. It's it's actually hilarious. I, I guess the point I was going to make with the length of the books, the first book is 40 pages, but like all the rest of the books are 40 pages as well. And, and as we've talked about before, George Perez, not one that leaves much detail un, undrawn. And so these books have they're they're densely packed because you have all these images all these panels have lots of detail to them there's a fair amount of text 
across all these panels as well to kind of give you an idea of the, there's a yep. lot of like talking that has to happen to explain to you as the reader, this is how big this thing actually is. Like the West coast of the United States has fallen into the ocean and, and, you know, we could show you a picture, but we kind of do have to explain that a little bit, or I'm going out into space to talk to Galactus and all these other like supreme beings and, and, and have to, you know, kind of explain who they are and why I'm going to them and why I think that it's going to work, that it's involved. But it's interesting because as you pointed out, Warlock like knows all the things that are going to happen and knows all of these, all these people that he's amassed to be allies and to help him aren't, aren't going to help him win. He, he actually says the only way you beat Thanos is that Thanos beats himself. And, and sure enough, that's what happens here too, because you you didn't even necessarily talk about it in the recap. But again, in order to try and impress Lady Death, they convince Thanos that he needs to basically play handicapped and, and not be able to use some of the mm -hmm. Infinity Stone powers to make it more of a fair fight. And so Initially, he's just basically just wiping the floor with anyone. He then just kind of does a reset and goes, okay, I won't use some of the powers. Let's try this again. And then he's still kicking their all, kicking their kicking them up and down the block. It is it is it is actually quite amazing. Yeah, and I also think it's interesting where what could otherwise be called just a ridiculous plot twist makes some sense in that. The one person who can defeat him, pretty much, is Warlock. And so what's the first thing he does when he's getting ready to set this plan in motion? He kicks Silver Surfer into Warlock's, like, retirement home. And right. essentially begins to set the seed for being defeated. Yes. And so, you know, if he'd have, if he'd have just beaten the Silver Surfer up and left him on the ground or if he'd have kicked him into any of the other gems or he'd have done just about anything other than specifically take this guy and put him in the soul gem he'd have been home free yeah. so so i i do think that it's interesting that at a certain point you know there there is this idea that that thanos has a depth to him and that's probably why he gets his time on the farm at the end is that there's a certain point at which, as awful as he is, at this point in the 90s, he still is a guy who is just really, really, he's a half-hearted interstellar mass murderer, right? And so right. I still think he probably deserves a lot worse than a farm, considering what he's done. But yeah. nonetheless, um, yeah, that's... Uh, they were Warlock. able to, they were... They were able to undo the snap, so he's not quite as bad as he could have been had they not been able to get all the other people back. He still he still genocided his entire people and you know yes. murdered his family. So there yeah. is that we shouldn't we shouldn't forget entirely. But sure, but warlock warlock operates on a different justice system than we do. So such is the way. Um, in any case, though, it's it's when you talk about the size of the books. There's two things to that that I think are important. One is they wanted to tell a big story 
and they didn't want it to take a year. They wanted it to take six months because otherwise you've got the entire Marvel Universe being half destroyed for a year, right? Sure, yeah. And so, or they'd have to do that, you know, these books come before Infinity Gauntlet and these books come after Infinity Gauntlet, whatever, which they've done at some points. The other thing is, this, like I said, was right in the middle of the 90s, which was the highest profit time for Marvel and all of the other companies. It was right before the big crash. So being able to slap $2.50 on a book instead of like a buck and a quarter was just pure additional profit for them. So never, you know, never underestimate just crass capitalism as the reason for <laughs> sure. in comics. And, and I think that's a big part of it was they knew it was their big summer event. They knew it was going to sell. And so they pumped up the page count and, uh, and charged more because it was, this was substantially more than, uh, than any of the other books on the shelf that month, probably. I was surprised that Nebula ended up with the gauntlet and actually it's, it's weird. So she's, ends up getting the gauntlet from Thanos and then she has like control and has all the powers and it's it's weird because they end up actually then seeking Thanos's help in order to get the gauntlet from her in the final issue which mm -hmm. you know it's it's like here's the guy that we definitely don't want having the gauntlet he finally doesn't get it but now somebody else has it it's like She's as bad or could possibly be worse. And so we need to enlist the guy that we all, we didn't want having the gauntlet for five issues to come help us try and get it from her in the sixth, mm -hmm. in the sixth book, which is actually kind of crazy. And I, yeah. I just did not see that coming. No, that, uh, that was a little odd, but he, he does sort of throw those, those two off all the time because they, they really hate him. So, and well, they should. So, Nebula being a big part of it was interesting or, or that part of it simply because she hadn't really been used all that much up to that point either. So it was kind of a little bit of twist. We also had Star Fox in there, but essentially, I mean, Starlin must not like Star Fox because he took him in basically in like page two. He has his mouth taken away quite literally, just erased off of him. And then he just sits there silent for like six books tied up in uh in 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 the little temple so you you get a few thought bubbles i think and that's about the extent of it yeah that's the other thing is i don't know if you noticed all of the different viewpoints but there were a lot of different times where different characters would take on the narration of the story so it would be whoever's viewpoint we're looking at or whoever the story was we would actually get the story told from their like the thought bubbles would switch from one character yeah. to another over time. And that's kind of right. unusual because that gets confusing to the reader. So it does. I was surprised that they did that, but I suppose with all those characters, they wanted to be able to, and in some cases there, there weren't other people to talk to or things were moving at a point where conversation would have been difficult. So they just thought bubbled the heck out of it. Anything left for Infinity Gauntlet, or should we move on to the second set of books? I think the main thing about Infinity Gauntlet that I found really interesting is that between the Silver Surfer book, which Lim was a big part of in 90 as well, 
and then Infinity Gauntlet, we really saw the Marvel sort of like greater universe come out in a, a, a with a boom because uh, it had been a long time since we'd really had much going on. The Kree, the Skrull, all of that sort of stuff had all been pretty underused for a long time. Marvel had, because of the whole grim and, dirt, you know, grim and gritty kind of thing, we'd had a lot of Punisher, we'd had a lot of Daredevil, we'd had a lot of Moon Knight. You know, a lot of these things that were more street-level violent. It wasn't really a time in the late 80s and the mid-80s for sort of like star-spanning science fiction. And these books kind of were the first efforts to sort of start bringing that back into the into prominence for Marvel. I think they did a pretty good job of that because it feels yep. like that's been a thing ever since. It was still a struggle in the 90s, but it set it set the stage for a lot of these characters to really succeed, especially in the early 2000s and forward as we started doing stuff. No. All right, let's jump over to the second set of books, Thanos Rising. This is Oh man. This, this is a story. This is a story. These things are very interesting. All right, so Thanos Rising, published in 2013, it was written by Jason Aaron. And the I'm going to get some of these wrong, but the uh the rest of the credits, penciler was Simone Bianchi, who's spectacular. Also did some of the inks and ink washes. Ricardo Pieraccini uh, also helped on the inks. Colors were done by Simone Peruzzi and Evie Sforzina. Sfor something along those lines. Lettered by Clayton Cowles. So, interesting story. Uh, this was right around the time when Marvel would have been planning the sort of phase three stuff so it's very possible that they knew that they were going to have a higher visibility for thanos in public culture in the next few years because 2013 right around that time is when you would have had the end of the avengers where we actually get our first look at thanos in that chair in the end right scene, right that's right that's right <clears throat> and so you would you would then start to hopefully have some interest in this character and they want to maybe have a place where we get a better idea of who it is if somebody's looking to find out who thanos is as they're getting ready for the movies so what these books do is they actually give us a look at the life of thanos of titan from the moment he's born up through to some scenes that appear to be in the present day and they give us a focus on those moments and those decisions that sort of made him the monster that he is, right? We start off by seeing that he is born a mutant into a society that has never known war or even murder, right? It's an, it's an idyllic, nearly perfect place. Very similar, by the way, to a place called New Genesis, which is ruled by the High Father, who is the enemy of Darkseid. One of the interesting things is that in in New Genesis, in, a, in an attempt to stop the war with the with um, with Darkseid and Apocalypse, they switch sons, and so there is actually a son of Darkseid who is raised on New Genesis 
named Orion, who is actually the son of Darkseid, and yet is raised on this perfect planet with everyone who takes care of him and loves him as their own and the like. The only difference is he doesn't grow up to be awful. So nonetheless, there's some there's some things in there as well. But more parallel. Again, he's he's born purple. Uh, everybody else there looks more um, like mostly Caucasian, but definitely more humanoid. Um, but he's accepted. He's accepted and welcomed by the other children. He's adored by his father. There's a few scenes, in fact, where we get the feeling that it's going to be set up where the other kids come to, like, beat up on him or kick sand on him or whatever. And they're like, hey, why don't you stop hanging out here alone and come and play with us? He goes, yeah, right. sure, I'll do that. Right? And it seems like he's just had this really good childhood. Um, he grows up to be very successful. Uh, he grows up to be very smart. Dad's proud of him, good grades, everything like that. The only person who seems to really have a an, in, an idea that there's something wrong is his mother. From the very moment that he was born, she seems to have seen the terrible things he's capable of. And she actually tried to take like a, a one of the surgical knives and kill him when he was a baby, when, when she was first presented with him. And then she goes crazy and is in the asylum and comes back out later on. And they still have some very uncomfortable sort of uh, conversations. Yeah. So as a child, though, he was always sort of fascinated by and also repulsed by death. So we'd see him drawing pictures of dead things. And, you know, he went into medicine and had to do dissections and things like this. Eventually, though, he was involved in an accident that caused other children to die and where he had to kill some relatively large uh, animals to kill him or to protect himself. That may have triggered something in him, but despite being smart, despite being successful, he eventually turned into a serial killer. Uh, he murdered a bunch of people. He eventually murdered his mother. And then he had to run away from Titan, turned into a pirate, and ended up leaving in his wake a line of jilted lovers, abandoned children, and destroyed planets. So initially, he's just one of the guys on the ship. But one of the captains irritates him a little bit too much. At that point, he's trying not to actually kill anybody. He's like, I'll get you all the logistics, but you've got to murder the people. Someone takes it a little too far. He kills the pirate captain. He becomes the pirate captain, takes over the ship, and actually returns back home just to kind of see what's going on on Titan. Ends up falling under the sway of a woman who he'd known since he was a child on the planet and who offers him her love but only if he will prove his love to her by finding and killing all of the offspring that he has fathered and abandoned over the last however many years since he left. He agrees to do this and actually does go and murder all of those kids and their mothers. But her demands just continue to grow and to get bloodier. He ends up killing entire planets for her and eventually he returns to Titan destroys his entire homeworld, commits genocide against his own people to earn her love. The last person that she wants him to kill is, her own is his own father, who he tracks down in his lab, and eventually, just as he's getting ready to kill him, his father says, you know, there's no one here with you. You know, there is no death personified for you to marry. I'm a scientist. I've got instruments here that can tell 
if there's anything, any kind of a presence, and there's nothing, that woman is just a figment of your own madness and your own broken mind. And Thanos somehow or another realizes the truth of what his father is saying, or believes his father in some reason, ends up leaving him there rather than killing him, and then continues out into the universe. He rejects death and continues on to his bloody ways alone. Yeah. So. This was... This was a very, very dark story. It was, but it was fascinating though. I, I did not figure like all that time it, it took like, you see the, the woman he's falling for death. You see her when he's a little kid and she just keeps showing up and all this. And I had no idea that, She's not actually there. It, it was it was a a total uh, sixth sense sort of moment when when we finally when he's screaming at this guy on this last planet before going to Titan, and the guy is upset because basically he just killed the entire world, all his family, all his friends, everything, and he's like, "Well, I'm doing it because she told me to," and. She said it's not enough. And he's like, tells this random person to go inside his ship, go into his quarters and ask her if this is enough. And he, of course, goes in there and finds just this dead body in there. And you're just like, okay, he actually is just insane. And then it just, it just, it is absolutely crazy. But you have this character that was like so timid and so just mild mannered. And, and like you said, he had a rather fantastic childhood, save for his mother being, you know, knowing that he's going to do bad things and not wanting him to do that. Uh, it just, it was amazing to see that sort of transformation in that first you know he can't even uh he can't even dissect an animal in in a in a medical class but then he's eventually you know picking up people on the street and bringing him back to this area and and like dissecting them because he wants to figure out how they tick mm-hmm. which will in turn help him learn how he ticks and it, it's it's just fascinating yeah it's it's Weird because there's so many things going on. I I also, I find the death thing interesting because with the story we just read, it's obvious death is not a figment, right? Right. I mean, Mephisto's Mephisto's seeing death. Everybody else, you know. Yeah. Eros, Eros is talking to death. So there is a, there's an element of this story that both humanizes and accuses Thanos, where it takes away that sort of he's being tricked by someone or or coerced by someone, that, you know, he's doing it for love. In this story, he's just somebody who... He's, he's raised in a society where everybody accepts him and there's no reason for him to turn out the way he did, and he's just bad. 
And his mom knows he's bad from the very beginning and everybody else finds out the hard way. But it is interesting because even while you read this, if you go back to Infinity Gauntlet, you still have to kind of look at that and go, well, unless they retcon things, Death is an actual personified character. And at some point or another, Death actually is standing next to him. And they are wreaking havoc. So was it his imagination when he's young and then Death catches his eye later and says, yeah, you know, you could be of use to me? Or how does this actually work? But there is a, there's a real difference between the, who death is and what death is in Infinity Gauntlet and in Thanos Rising. And that, yes. I, that I find intriguing. So, yeah, the, the idea that for so long he fought against his destiny too. That he really, he understood he was bad, but he didn't necessarily want to be. But then at a certain point, he just gave into it. Yeah. You know? And then it's weird because he gives into it, like, as a teenager, he gives into it. And then he he realizes, I think, after he kills his mother, that he's maybe gone too far. And that's why he jumps onto the onto the space pirate ship and become and basically leaves Titan. He's like, you know, I've killed like a dozen people and my mother I really shouldn't do this. I'm going to go out into the universe because maybe it's not Titan. Maybe, maybe I need to be off Titan in order for, for me to find meeting and, and everything. And, you know, he's going out looking for love and affection and purpose and all this. And he's going and he's like, uh, you know, pillaging with these pirates, which obviously is not great, but it's not as bad as I guess, uh, you know what he had been doing. Uh, it's it, it's negligible, I guess, whether or not he's actually doing something better or worse than he was before. But like, he wasn't like actively trying to kill people. He was just helping others kill people. So semantically, maybe I guess it's slightly better. But he, he does. He goes back to Titan, and the woman that he's loved kind of since he was a kid is there no she reason grows for up her... with him yeah so she grows she's up a, with she's him. a girl she's a little girl when he's a kid then she's like a teen girl and then when he returns now so she's the death death is aging with him in terms of seeming like somebody his his own peer uh yeah generation yeah so so you have no reason to believe this is not just what's in his head and that and so he like tries i feel like he tried again to like not be the monster that he ends up being but ultimately again this this figure in his life this woman that he that he's uh infatuated with kind of gives him the out to be able to go ahead and do the things that maybe he was trying to keep himself from doing and, and and so it's it's interesting and the, the fact that he starts with like his children and their mothers first is just oof it is it is like kind of goes straight to the unredeemable from from the i'm trying to get better to this is this is beyond redeemable sort of thing yeah he is 
I mean, it is is hard to look at anything about his history and think that there could be any way to not think he's just the worst. You know, he, I mean, it's, yes, he killed his mom, but he also killed everybody on his planet except his dad and his brother. So all the kids who went to school with him, all his friends, all those people who treated him well, he murdered them all. He killed all of the women and the babies from... He'd, he'd basically been moving from planet to planet where he'd settle down, it seemed like, start a life, and then as soon as that life started to seem like it was good and he was in a place where he was trusted and he had, like, you know, a, a family, he would then just up and leave, go find a pirate ship and go to another planet and then start another family. And that was his right. that was his plan. So he would have this this sort of trail of of children across the galaxy. And then yeah, he went back and murdered all of them. Which is also why keep in mind that Gamora and um Nebula are not actually his daughters. We see that in the things. He doesn't have any actual children. He's murdered them all. That's right. So yeah. They are they are his daughters just in that he adopts them after killing their parents. Like yes. like you do, right? Like you do, so, yeah, yeah. So it's the worst. The artwork I have to tell you is absolutely top notch in the in these books. It is there is there there are some really really cool looking you know full page panels through there. There's like two or three full page panels in each one of these books. Uh, and and like the covers are absolutely amazing the story too is just it's real quick and like there's definitely when you're talking about a character that basically is going mad kind of before mm -hmm. your eyes it's really easy i think to potentially do things that are confusing and stuff but this is really well done and the art really supports it well that there there's no real confusion as to what's going on. You you know what he is and what he's doing all throughout this. And the only the only twist is the fact that this woman that he that he's interested in isn't actually there and is only in his head. And and that, I think, is obviously what was a conscious thing that they were trying to kind of hide from you for, for several issues until you get deep into this story. Yep. And even there, of course, there's the, the double blind of, or is it not so much that, you know, that the father reveals that death isn't real or that he tricks Thanos somehow. And that's his final sort of revenge for the planet is that even after all of this, Thanos then no longer believes in death and doesn't get the reward that he's murdered half the galaxy to get. Yeah. Maybe she, you know, I mean, the easiest explanation in the Marvel Universe with death really being a personified being is that that actually is her. But I, I would prefer to believe that in actual fact it's a figment of his imagination, but I think that you can easily read it either way. It's either yeah. dad is messing with his head or his head is just already messed with one way or the other. And we don't know which. So, but yes, Simone Bianchi. Oh my God. His stuff is just so good. There are, there are Daredevil or uh, Wolverine books from back in the day that he did that are just astonishing. So much, so much good stuff. Absolutely amazing. So 
it's won a won a bunch of awards for best Italian like comic artist and stuff like that and really really good stuff. I will tell you now, after reading this set of books, I I I, I totally get why he's this big bat now. Like I, the other, it's not that Infinity Gauntlet it doesn't do a good job of making him like a big bad, but like as far as like his motivations and things like that and really fleshing out what this character is and why he is the mad Titan. This, this is that this is why Thanos feels terrifying, right? It's like he is just capable of just doing anything. And, and like, you just don't know what, if it's somebody in his head, you don't know what they could be saying to cause him to do whatever it is he's going to do. Marvel rarely got this dark in like the nineties or the eighties. It just wasn't really their brand. This would have, this would have been a max series or something like that back even just a decade before. And it would have been too dark for, for the Marvel of the eighties or, or even into the nineties. Marvel was, Marvel was dark in a sort of juvenile guys with big muscles and guns. It wasn't dark in a, you know, murdering people in deep psychological messed up ways type of thing in, in a lot of cases. I guess I shouldn't entirely. There were some things going on in X-Men that were pretty disturbing in the 90s. But nonetheless, this does seem like it's something that this much more almost like a there's almost like a gothic horror, like a sci-fi horror yeah. element to yeah. it, is something that, that we didn't see a lot around the time of Infinity War. That was really a, you know, a bright and, and crazy adventure story where Thanos really kind of wants to get caught anyways, and so he he plays around and plays games, and this Thanos is playing no games, you know? No. There's, there's not any cute little, uh, cute little MacGuffins or whatever that he's he's throwing out there. Uh, it's it's a very dark series. All right, so yeah, I I think that there were a lot of really good story elements in here too. I remember a lot of the dialogue really caught me and interested me, and it gives us this idea to really see that he's not fooling anybody either. Everyone pretty much just knows how bad he is and he seems to think he's he's a god he thinks he's getting away with it he thinks he's cool but really for the most part everybody just knows that he's the worst you know except his dad who's a moron almost until the very end his dad is a true believer in thanos is is the is the model kid and mm-hmm. despite everyone telling him to the contrary he he just refuses to believe that that there there's anything wrong he got good grades he says which like yeah. somehow he's he, classic he's a, classic he, father i guess yeah so. he's a scientist just like me there's no way this could be bad yep exactly so in any case all right Dwayne. so I think we kind of covered these two, talked a little bit, gotten an idea about uh, classic Thanos and more modern Thanos. So let's head into our questions for the week, 
Are you ready for a couple questions? So, which of these did you like better? We've got Infinity Gauntlet, 1991, or Thanos Rising from 2013. I I, I don't want to disappoint you because I know you, this was the books that were supposed to get me really into George Perez. I, I, I'm coming around on George Perez. Let me first say that. But my favorite story of the week was Thanos Rising. It was just a really compelling story that that I think delivered in kind of this idea of kind of peeling back layers on this character that I knew virtually nothing about. And I, I now feel like I've got a much better understanding of this character and, and infinity gauntlet just sort of assumed you kind of knew who Thanos was and, and why, and why he was doing it. And like, it was, there wasn't a ton of depth, I would say, to it. It was just this big bombastic story. Whereas I think I wanted the more kind of be growing up the psychological sort of story that 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 Jason Aaron gave us uh, in Thanos Rising. All right, sounds good. I myself, I think I did like the big more bombastic story, partly because sure. Thanos Rising is depressing, man. It is, it is portrait it is. portrait of of you know mass murderer as a child. So that was not the uh, not the most uh, uplifting story of the week, to say the least. Um, no favorite artists of the week. Basically, we got George Perez and Simone Bianchi. Simone Bianchi. It, the the like the full page panels in each of those books were fantastic. Simone. Bianchi did all the covers for each of the five Thanos Rising books, and those were spectacular as well. I will forever in my head have that final panel from book five, where he is basically walking away from his father's lab in a destroyed Titan. And, and just the word, you know, he's talking about how he's he's come to realize that he's alone. And he's just walking away by himself in all the destruction that he had done. And you're just like, I don't know where this guy is going next, but I am scared for the people that he's going to find when he gets there. Yeah. Now it's, it's hard to really argue with that. Bianchi for folks who haven't seen the art is kind of like a cross between American and European art styles. He's got a very, sort of strong grounded character design like a lot of american almost like neil adams type of of solidness but then he's got these really cool fiddly little lines that he draws through faces and everything to make them more expressive and interesting and his shading and everything is is really very detailed there's really it, it's hard to it's hard to vote against the work he did in these books because it's fantastic i'm gonna blame ron Lim for not inking george perez the way i because otherwise george would have obviously won if it had been him inking himself so i'm just gonna give myself an out there and say that you know it uh it wasn't a it wasn't a fair fight so there you go no it's fantastic these books thanos rising was a very very beautifully drawn book how about the worst part of the week 
There wasn't really a worst part of the week for me. If I had to pick something I didn't necessarily like in Infinity Gauntlet with the sudden switch of the the bad person that we need to 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 get the gauntlet away from having it switch from Thanos to Nebula for that final for that final book. It's like they could have ended it at five books, but they wanted to add a sixth book, so Let's let him lose the gauntlet, but Nebula has it now, and and now we need Thanos to come and actually help us get get the gauntlet from from her. I it it felt like a twist too much for me. I okay. will fully, but that that's nitpicking though. That's nitpicking. I was actually concerned that the fact that they dropped us in with so many things already done, and that there were so many characters you maybe hadn't seen would make Infinity Gauntlet a little difficult to to sort of get into for you. And the fact that that didn't seem to cause you any trouble or throw you at all, I'm I'm actually pretty pleased by. Because that did worry me. There's a bunch of tie-in yeah. books. There's a bunch of other story and everything. And there's a bunch of really weird characters. So, I, There were definitely characters I was unfamiliar with uh, that, that we were seeing in here. But I have gotten enough exposure over the course of of this podcast that I just sort of kind of went with it. They they did a really good job of sort of runwaying you into the idea of here is Thanos. He's got the stones. He is look at he he's got somebody he's trying to oppress. Let's see what he decides to do with it. It, it, it was really kind of that. And then it's like, okay, now I'm seeing all these other characters. Some I've seen, most of them I've seen before. Some of them I haven't. And, and we're starting to kind of interact and, and see where this thing goes. And, and I felt like they did the really good job of kind of ramping up to that big conflict fight. You know, there was all this kind of, here's what's happening as a direct result of the snap. Now we have Adam Warlock and Silver Surfer who are trying to find allies. So we get some discussions about that. And it's like, here's the teams that we're going to go and we're going to rush and we're going to attack. And then now, like book three or something, we're about 120, 130 pages in. Now we're going to actually have a fight. And and now we get uh, just a really interesting fight from here on out. There you go. Very cool. Very cool indeed. All right, that's going to just about wrap us up. But before we do that, let's talk about where we're headed next week because obviously we read some comics this week, so we've got a movie to watch. Absolutely. It is, uh, it's one you may have heard of. Uh, $17 billion in revenues or whatever. So, yeah, we are going to go and watch us a little bit of Infinity War and see how that one goes in... Uh, in replay haven't actually watched that for probably two or three years now so i'm interested to uh to get back to it and check it out again uh, it's going to be different now that i've seen things that have happened after it i now know who thanos really is and what he is capable of i'm very much looking forward to seeing seeing this movie again mm-hmm. All right, and with that, that is going to wrap it up for us for this week. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. 
Whether you're new to the podcast or you've been with us from the beginning, we'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Or if you read Thanos Rising or Infinity Gauntlet with us this week, we'd love to get your thoughts. You can send us those via email. That address is comments at comicsovertime.com. We're also available on social media on X at Comics Over Time. And Dan, we have a Blue Sky account now. You went ahead and made one for us. Yep. We we are indeed on Blue Sky at Comics Over Time. And that's probably where I'm going to do most of my posting now. I kind of have wound it wound down on Twitter. So might check it occasionally, but if you did have anything you wanted to send as a as a post or look for any of the things I might post about the um like the books we're reading or the movies. I kind of have gotten away from doing that for the last few months because Twitter's just been a little bit crazy. Uh, I'm going to try and start up again now uh, that we've got the Blue Sky account going for comics over time. Sounds good. Dan, really enjoyed the books that we read this week. I, I feel like I am very much in the know. Like I should, this is where I should have been before going and seeing Infinity wars the first time but i'm looking forward to watching it again and i'm very much looking forward to talking with you about it next week absolutely be a good time till next week take care everybody see you later folks